Hello, good morning. Come on in if you are outside or in the foyer. Go ahead and take your seats. We're gonna keep moving along here. All right, my name is Amy. If we haven't met this morning or ever, that's my name, okay? My name is Amy. I'm part of the staff here at Sierra Bible Church. I wanna welcome you, say good morning. And if you are new here this morning and you want information about the church, that information is in the seat pocket in front of you. We also have a gift for you at our info booth. And so you wanna make sure to, uh, before you leave today to grab that gift. If you are new this morning, also we have children's church going on next door. It's actually a nursery, I think six months old, all the way up to sixth grade. And so if you wanna drop your kids off there, you are free to do so. Um, otherwise, from seventh grade and up, we wanna have you in here. And if you're really, really tiny, you're over there in that corner. See all those tiny things over there? Those are all tiny babies. They were all born this year which you would know because we had a lot of baby showers. Um, we actually have another baby shower coming up uh, Monday after uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, thank you. And that is for Lily and Liam, and they're having a baby boy. So you're all invited to that. Uh, I think that is maybe the last baby that's born this year here. There will be more next year, I'm sure, but I don't know when any of that's happening because I'm not in charge of th those things. But there, there is a baby coming in December, and that is um, baby boy Palmer. And so that baby shower is, again, the Monday after Thanksgiving. Uh, something else coming up that I mentioned last week is if you are interested in being a part of the worship team that you see up here every week, uh, we are having worship auditions on December 1st. That's a Thursday night at 6 p.m. That's the time that the worship team usually practices. And so again, if you have an instrument you've been working on or practicing, or maybe you've been playing for years, uh, maybe you've been singing and worshiping in your car, in your shower, and you're just like, I think I have the gift. If you have the gift and you've been holding on to it for yourself, well, that's, that's not biblical. So you need to come out to worship auditions and share your gift with all of us. You can connect with Pastor Brad about what that's gonna look like and what kind of music to bring. Um, and you can just show up on December 1st. Um, a couple days after that, we have our women's annual Christmas luncheon. Uh, this is for all women as part of Sierra Bible Church. It's a really uh, fun community, like, um, not community, fellowship event. And it's, uh, it's a free event, but we do want you to register on the app or online so that we know how many women are attending because we have lunch for you, we have gifts for you. I don't know if we have gifts, so take that back. I do know we have lunch for you, and um, it's really just a special event for the, that the women's ministry puts on. So that is December 3rd, lunchtime at 1130. Uh, and then just as a reminder, of course, that I mentioned this last week, we have nine in Bethlehem. We have our parade coming through right now. Here they are. <laughs> Here's our, um, you know, poster board. We, we are encouraging online signups, but we at the same time have a hard time, you know, like transitioning. So we still have a poster board happening. Um, specifically, this night is a, it's a free family event, and it is uh, Thursday and Friday, December 8th and 9th, uh, from 6 to 8. So last week, we changed the time. Last week, it was 530 to 8.30, and that's what it's been traditionally, but we decided to shrink it down just a little bit so that we could focus in on that two-hour period and also give our volunteers um, a chance to have a little break and um, more opportunity to volunteer. So that is from six to eight, two nights. 
Uh, we do want volunteers for this event. We would love bakers, actually. Um, I think there is not a sign-up for actual baking online, and so you, if you want to bake something and we have recipes for you, then you can sign up out front as well, um, and we will get that event going. And actually, we do have a video on it, so let's play the video. Yeah, Pastor Jesse Richardson here at Sierra Bible Church. Want to make you aware of one of the biggest events we have as a church. December 8th and 9th between 6 and 8 p.m., we'll be changing our entire sanctuary, our entire room that we have every single week that normally is for worship and singing and Bible teaching into first century Bethlehem. If you show up, you'll be able to experience what it was like when Jesus was born. Period time food, period time drinks, and even crafts for all of your kids. It's a great event. If you have kids, man, you've got to be here. Hope that you'll come. Hope that you'll volunteer as we serve this community with the gospel and the message of Jesus that in fact will be touchable. Hope to see you there. All right. And as you can see, we have baby, little baby Jesus there. And we have so many babies. Who wants to be baby Jesus? You, you let me know. Your baby can't be too large by now. So you can let me know about that later. All right. Let's get going with Pastor Jesse in the book of Mark. Good morning. If you uh, don't have a Bible and you'd like to read along with us, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> and we have some ushers in the room. Just keep your hand up. We'll make sure uh, we get you a Bible in your hand. And if you don't own one, please feel free to take this one with you as a gift from us. Uh, the, we want to make sure that you have scripture and that you're looking at it. I want to start out this morning with a story that I know some of you have heard. And so I, I told the first gathering that, you know, I'm now at a place as, uh, as a pastor that I, I've been in the same location here now for um, uh, 18 years. And in 18 years, you know, when you're preaching, you, you have a tendency to say and share the same stories. And, and so if you've heard the story, uh, you're going to hear it again, and you'll probably hear it again after that, and then after that, and then in 10 years, you'll hear it again, and then you'll get sick of me, and I'll bury you, or whatever. <laughs> I just mean we're going to love each other until you die. That's all I mean by that. So uh, let me take you back to the year 2003. In the year 2003, I was three years into full-time ministry. By full-time ministry, I mean I was working part-time at a church and part-time at, uh, at a general nutrition center. Uh, and that part-time for the church actually was more like full-time. I mean, I poured my heart into it. And I, I think at that time, I was bringing home $800 every two weeks. So I was living on $1,600 a month from the church. And then I was working whatever I could in addition to that to uh, make ends meet. And in 2003, <clears throat> I had fallen for a girl. And uh, this was a unique thing for me because she was unlike any other girl that I had ever really dated. First of all, she was sold out for Jesus. Secondly, to my shame, uh, she was the only brunette I had ever dated. Uh, all of them outside of that had been blonde, to give you an idea of, of what I was after in, in, in college. And, uh, and I asked her out, and we started to talk, and I began to fall head over heels for her. And I realized that uh, what I was going to need to do after falling for her, and I had told her really early on, I'm going to marry you. Uh, I don't advise that early on because, um, <laughs> because the result, 
on the heels of that was she broke up with me. It was just too much, too fast. And I went into a crisis mode. You know, I was down and I was depressed. And, and then this girl, she uh, went on a missions trip to Mexico for 30 days. And during those 30 days, I fasted and I prayed. And God spoke to me through scripture and, and told me that I was going to marry this girl. Double downed on it kind of thing, you know. And, uh, and, and she was in Mexico, and I had no guarantee. And uh, even though I'd heard from the Lord, you know, like inside my heart, it wasn't like scriptural, it wasn't out loud. I'm not trying to make it sound like something that it isn't. <clears throat> and the result was while she was in Mexico, she prayed and the Lord spoke to her and said, you're going to marry this guy. So after 30 days of not seeing her, talking to her very little, she came home and I knew she was driving from Mexico in, back into San Diego and I went to go visit her and see her when she popped out of the car after not seeing me for 30 days. She ran to me. She jumped into my arms, wrapped her body around me. Granted now, we've been broken up now for a while. So to my surprise, you know, even though I'd heard from the Lord, I was like, what? This is crazy. What was even crazier was her response. Where's my ring? Uh, silly, silly girl. Well, I realized at that point, you know, that, that, okay, the Lord seems to be in this, but even then, you know, I, I know, no offense to you ladies, but you have a tendency to change your mind periodically. <laughs> so I was afraid that she could change her mind, but I, I wanted to marry her. So I went down on, on our radio station in San Diego. There was an advertisement multiple times a day on the number one radio station in San Diego for a place called Robbins Brothers. Robbins Brothers sold diamond rings for engagements. I mean, their whole thing was wedding. And so I went into Robbins Brothers with a buddy of mine, an older guy, a business guy, because right, I, I was you know, 23, 24 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never bought a ring like this before. This was gonna be the largest purchase I've ever made. So as I sat down with my $800 paycheck and started to discuss what the cost of these rings were, my anxiety began to swell and I walked out. Now, I walked out not because I was a good businessman. I walked out because I was scared to death to spend that kind of money. And little did I know that when you walk out of a store, they'll lower the price. <laughs> so they did. They came back, lowered the price. I listened to the price still felt anxious and told them, I can't do this. I wanted to go home. I wanted to think about it. Started to walk out the door. The doors were open. I'm leaving. They grabbed me again and lowered the price. Three times they lowered the price. I tried to leave three times. Now the third time was the kicker because in the third time he said, listen, I'm giving you the deal of all deals. I'm going to give you this deal, but here's the deal. You can't bring it back. There's no returns no exchanges. That's the final price. <sighs> so I did what every wise young man should do in that moment. I pulled out all three of my credit cards and I maxed them. <laughs> Still paying that sucker off. No, I'm, just, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't have any debt. I paid it off. But she was worth it. And obviously, 
as you know the conclusion of the story, the story is about my wife. We've been married. Coming up next year will be our, our 19th year. We're going to get to celebrate 20 years in a year's time. Thank you, yeah. So let me, let me, now that I've shared my story, let me ask about your story. When was the last time you made a purchase that was so extravagant that maybe the world would criticize the action? When was the last time you did that for your loved one or maybe a child or obviously this morning we're talking about when was the last time you gave Jesus an extravagant gift that all would criticize the radicalness, the bigness, the vastness of said gift? In the place in Mark, we're in the last week of Jesus' life. He is preparing his heart and his body as well as his inner being and essence for the most brutal murder anyone has probably ever experienced, that anyone has experienced. We know in a few short days of time from this passage that Jesus will not only taste death on our behalf, he will taste a separation from God the Father. He will carry and he will taste the sin of the world. All of the dark deeds that you have ever done, all of the, the filthy thoughts that you have had, Jesus will impute those things to himself. He will carry them. He will wear them and he will exchange instead and give you and impute to you his purity and his righteousness. This is where he's headed. What will the final time be like? What will his disciples say? What will his critics say? We get a picture here this morning of a radical gift for an even more radical savior. Let's pick up the story together. If you can, would you please stand with me as we read from verses 1 through 11, Mark chapter 14. It was two days before the Passover. This is when the Jews celebrate the reality that God passed over them and did not take their firstborn. And where were they celebrating this? We'll be told that here in a moment. But it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief of priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that is Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, that's the location. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done, what she has done is a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went out to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Lord, your words are trustworthy and true. 
Speak to us now this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. May take a seat, please. Remember, I'd asked you kind of uh, that initial question, was the last time that you gave an extravagant gift to someone um, or even the Lord, something that is of great cost and value? It saddened me, it saddens me to, to report to you that sometimes within churches, uh, not so much ours, but definitely the one I was a part of, it was really common for people to think that Jesus or the church, what, what they need is the hand-me-downs of those who attend the church. We actually had some, uh, the church I was a part of was really large, so we had a full-time janitorial service of probably, I think, five or six guys that took care of the facility and the campus, as well as repairing computers and different things like that. And there was a breezeway that was covered. It was a quite large breezeway, probably 20 feet long by 15 feet wide. And in that breezeway was stacked one upon another, an old computer, an old screen, an old piece of hardware, an old printer. And literally what it was, was all of the hand-me-downs of those who decided to buy a new computer for themselves and thought in their heart of hearts and charity of charity that what the church needed was that old piece of trash. <laughs> and really what ended up happening with those gifts is it actually created work for the church. These guys had to go through the computers. They had to make sure that they were disposed of properly, all of that. It actually caused more work for them. Uh, over the years when I've done youth ministry, I did youth ministry for eight years here at this church. And, and next door, we've probably had two or three different times where someone in the congregation got a new couch. And so the kids next door got the used couch. It kind of shows you a little bit of where we're at. The, the old couch isn't good enough for me, but it probably is good enough for Jesus. It's a question I think all of us should ask. What we learn from this particular woman that I think Mark, first of all, leaves unnamed. Her name is not here. It's just a woman at the Passover time of unleavened bread. That message is important as well in the beginning. The reason it's important is because the Passover and the idea of the unleavened bread all point towards Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. But Jesus is also the one who was un of unleavened bread. During the season, young little kids would hide uh, pieces of leavened bread around the house and then they would remove them. They'd be removed from the house. That the house would be clear of anything that could be defiled. You see, it was believed that the leaven in bread was the thing that caused bread to deteriorate and to go bad or moldy. Leaven was seen as something that, yeah, it, it gives the bread its substance, but inevitably it's also what makes the bread go rotten. And so the idea of unleavened bread is bread that will not rot. All of this is the point to the reality that Jesus is the unleavened loaf that will never decay. He will be placed in the grave, but he has no sin or corruption about him. So during this Passover, what's important for us to understand is the busyness of what is occurring. Literally, we see in the first part of this passage, we see the Pharisees say, we're looking to destroy this Jesus by stealth. You see, at the time, the city was a buzz. It was a float. And surely everyone had heard of this Jesus. 
because Jesus has, has basically been making claims that he's God and claims that he's the Messiah. So not only is this a busy time, there is an emphasis and a focus on this particular man that seems to be wandering around Jerusalem making really radical claims about himself and teaching in a way that he ought not teach. So they know the crowds are following him, not quite for real adoration and worship, but, but because of what he's doing. And they know the crowds are around and they're following him and they don't want to kill him in public. They don't want to arrest him in public because the crowd will arise and they will revolt. That's their worry. So what does Mary do? She contrasts the stealth. That's who this is. It's Mary. Why is her name not given? It's given in the other gospels. Probably not given here in Mark. Just to put the emphasis on the object here is not Mary. The subject is not Mary that we're to learn from. It's, this, it's the person she's giving the gift to. This extravagant gift. She gives it to Jesus publicly. That's my first point for us this morning if you're a note taker. The idea of what is being shared here is this. Great love. Great worship. Great adoration will always be two things. Number one, it'll always be extravagant and it will always be public. This is what Mary shows us about true worship to Jesus. The true worship of Christ doesn't hold anything back. The true worship of Jesus is extravagant. The true worship of Jesus is out there for all to see. There is no keep your faith private and don't ever speak about it in public. No, the reason that Mary contrasts the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people of the day is because she's doing this out in the open for all to see. What does John chapter 3 tell us of Jesus? That the light has come into the world. The light has pierced into the darkness. But we know that there will always be people who love darkness rather than the light. And you can't help but love the setting in which Jesus is in. We leave the Pharisees for a moment and their hatred towards Christ. And we enter away from the foes of Jesus to the friends of Jesus. Where is this meal taking place? And none other than Simon the leper's house. Well, this is interesting. Because lepers are to be far away. So what we learn from the text here is that Simon was still called a leper. He may have even had some kind of skin disease from birth. What we learn here is Simon has been healed. Simon's been healed by Jesus. And now they're having this meal. And in this meal is Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of who? Lazarus. They all come from the same family. They're all brothers and sisters, Mary, Martha, and, and, and Lazarus. I don't, why is my watch talking to me? Mary, uh, Martha, and Lazarus, all the same family. They're all in this meal. Imagine the conversation in this meal, first of all. Right? You got Simon? I used to have leprosy. And then you got Lazarus. But have you been dead? I know you had a skin disease, but you ain't never died, bro. And I'm sure they were, I think Jesus loves me more. I think Jesus loves me more. I can't help but think that the fellowship here, the radicalness of it here, the fact that they're rallying really are not around the Passover, but the true Passover that is Jesus. And we learn at least three things from Mary, not only from this text, but other places in scripture, that she knew how to sit with Jesus. 
Some of you might remember there was a time in Scripture where Mary and Martha were both with Jesus, two sisters. Mary is sitting with Jesus, and Martha is serving and working. And Martha gets upset because Mary is sitting, and Jesus says that in this moment, what Mary is doing is the greater thing. Mary knew how to sit. And Martha, on the other hand, man, she, she sure knew how to perspire and to work hard. But we know from Mary, from other places, that not only did she know how to sit with Jesus, she knew how to listen to Jesus. She was intent on hearing his exact words. This is what Luke chapter 10, 39 shares. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet. I'm sorry, uh, Luke 10, 39. <clears throat> Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. May this be true of you this morning. That adoration and love and worship come from hearing the word of God preached. The world sees preaching as folly, but God sees preaching as the key that puts the foolish one or puts the one who thinks he's wise to foolishness. The Bible actually calls preaching, what I'm doing right now, foolishness. That it's foolishness to the world. And yet the Bible teaches that it's through preaching and hearing the word of God that salvation comes, and so does our sanctification, our growth. May it be true that we're like Mary, we listen and we sit and we share our hearts with Jesus. When Lazarus died, she poured her heart out. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But mostly what we see in Mary and her constant sitting and worship what we see in her is a radical act of worship to her Savior. It tells us here that, that she took a flask and she poured it over his head. Another piece of scripture says not only did he pour it over his head, this nard is what it's called, but she also then began to take her hair and she began to wash his feet with the perfume as her hair was the cleaning device in which she scrubbed and wiped our Savior's feet. Well, let's talk about this nard for a moment, this gift she gave to Jesus. Well, this nard is about 12 ounces. It was inside of what we call an alabaster jar. The jar itself was valuable. It was important. The nard inside was earthy, it was sweet with a little bit of spiciness, incredibly difficult to get a hold of. It was actually imported from India. Because of this, it made the nard extremely expensive. We're actually told in the text this idea of what it says here, 30,000 denarii, is that the, the number? Regardless of the number, the, it's the equivalent of the modern man's working wage. The blue-collar guy. It's one year's worth of wages. That's what this 12 ounces is worth. That's how valuable it is. You take one year's worth of your wages and you buy this thing. It's like that ring I gave my wife. It's valuable. It's precious. One day, hopefully, that ring will be passed down to my kids and to my grandkids and to my great-grandkids. It would be in the family forever. The perfume was seen as this kind of thing. It's possible that this was a way for them to keep their life savings. It's also really possible, as some theologians believe, that, that this would have been used for her down payment as a dowry 
so that she could one day be married. What is Mary's response? (laughs) How does she view this costly nard? She breaks it in its entirety. The jar is obliterated and the perfume is completely used. Right, if, if you have a little thing of cologne, I use a, a little thing of cologne. I, I roughly do this, you know, when I think I, I didn't do it this morning, so I don't smell that great. I'm sorry, but it's usually kind of like this, right? <laughs> then you go about your business. And no offense, but something happens after roughly the age 50. You think instead of <laughs> you need... <laughs> You smell a little bit more like Mary. (laughs) All of the contents are placed upon Christ. And in doing so, the entire room was filled with this smell. There's not one person who could escape the aroma. What I think is kind of really interesting here is one when she takes her hair and she wipes his feet. I, I just, you got to know that Mary's not supposed to be in the room. She's not supposed to be speaking with a rabbi. She let alone touching him. And to let her hair down, that was a symbol of promiscuity in that day. And in spite of all of the cultural and, and, and criticism and, and cultural, no, you should never, she just lets it all out and the aroma fills the room. Her love for Christ cannot be escaped. It's there for all to see. It's public. It's dramatic. All can smell it. And my friends, likewise, We're to be doing the same thing, sharing the love and the odor of Jesus everywhere we go. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God. Why? Because in Christ, he always leads us in triumphal procession. Do you hear that? Thank you to Jesus because the Christian is always triumphal. And it then says this, through us, through the church, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. What is he saying in this passage? That everywhere we go, our radical love for Jesus, the smell of Christ and the gospel and charity and grace and forgiveness and mercy, that goes everywhere we go. We put it everywhere. That those who are lost would smell Jesus. And likewise, those who are being saved, that's language of sanctification. If you're growing in the Lord, may the fragrance of Christ on me be shared with you that you would grow in your faith. And may you do that likewise with your other brothers and sisters. You see, it's the aroma of Jesus. I've been with Jesus. I've hung out with Jesus. It's for all to see. We spread that. Our homes should stink of the good Lord. Point number two, we see her act of worship is extravagant and it is public, it's complete. She holds nothing back. She spins it all. But in number two, point number two, we learn that there will always be those who are critical 
of such sacrificial love and sacrifice. It's, again, the name isn't named. It said, though there are those who scolded her, scoffed at her. The, the, the word scoff is the same language that's used for the snorting of a horse. They were snorting at her. They were indignant at her. You know what's really interesting is the world has no problem with excess sex, excess power, excess sin. But the moment you bring in too much of Jesus, all of a sudden we have a problem. They questioned her motive. They questioned her action. She worshiped, and while she worshiped, they expressed their anger and frustration. And literally, literally, the individual here says, this could have been used for the poor. And Jesus says something that's somewhat controversial. The poor you'll have with you always. Is he saying, don't serve the poor? No, he's saying, I'm only here for but a moment. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to serve the poor. But she's chosen this moment. She knows she has sat with Jesus. She has listened to Jesus. And she knows exactly what she's doing. And Jesus even says she's fulfilling prophecy. She has done this to anoint my body before burial. The text doesn't say, but is it possible she knew exactly what she was doing? Is it possible that, that Mary's the one who sat with Jesus and heard the message, my Savior will die for me and he will be resurrected from the dead? I don't know, but clearly she knew something the others didn't because of her position. She knew exactly where she needed to be. She didn't have to be worried about serving. She needed to be worried about being there with him. You know what's really interesting here? We, we know from other texts that the one who is actually criticizing is Judas. He's the contrast. Mary's extravagant worship contrasted with the selfishness of Judas. In our world, Judas would have looked like a saint, yeah? Whoa, hey, you, you got a year's worth of wages? We really should sit down, come up with a game plan. I know investors like this. I'd love to give the church money, but I want to hear the game plan. What's the vision? Now I'm too dumb to give a vision because I, I don't have one. Matthew 28 does. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize and disciple the nations. That requires our time, that requires our talents, and that requires financial backing. So be it. If I'm going to go to Africa, it's going to cost money to get there. I don't want to lay out a 10-step plan. I want you to be so in love with Christ that you're willing to do everything in your life, radical or, or somewhat, a little, little, maybe almost radical, whatever it might be, but you're going to do it with all of your heart because Jesus is worth it. They criticized him, her, for her devotion. What are you doing? My friends, isn't this true? In our world, isn't it true that you have people at times who would say, your faith is too crazy, your faith is too radical, the way you spend your money is, is, is incorrect? I had a family member actually tell me this one time. They said, if I gave you, and they had the means to do it, $10,000 
Are you telling me, not Christian, are you telling me you'd give at least a thousand of it to the Lord, to the church? And I said, yeah. And they said, hmm. Well, I ain't giving you $10,000. Because $1,000? That's crazy. That's crazy to give the church $1,000. The moment I, I did, remember I told you I did youth, youth ministry, eight years. You know my common advice for a lot of kids coming up in high school and, uh, and getting ready to go into college? My common advice was simply this, and I'm a big advocate of it even still. Some of you aren't going to like it, and I'm okay with that. I would advise a lot of these young kids before going to college, which many of them wanted to do, to actually skip at least a year and go to like a school of ministry or a Bible school. Because what happens is the church, by and large, does a pretty poor job discipling its young people. We're doing everything we can to fight against that. And so what happens is our young people, they grow up in church, if we've got, and we've got a lot of them, they grow up in church, they hear the message of Jesus, they go to college, and college erodes their faith with all of their secular evidences and all of its worldly garbage and trash and all of its self-centeredness. And then inevitably what happens is that young person's faith is eroded under unbiblical, ungracious, ungodly kind of thinking and culture that we live in now. It doesn't work. It's the same dumb message being preached year in and year out with dumb results. And I would have parents tell me, you can't tell my kid to go to Bible college? Who do you think you are? Don't you know they got to go save? They got to get an education? They gotta... I was like, well, who cares if they gain the whole world and they lose their soul? My kids, I hope, will choose to go to some kind of place in their early 20s to get their faith grounded in Jesus so that the world doesn't erode who God has made them to be. And you'll have people in the world who will say, even in the church, who will say, that's too radical. That's too much. Come on, parents, what are you going to do when your 17-year-old child comes to you and says, I want to go to Mexico and I want to go serve Jesus? If the first thing that comes to your mind is the cartel, then you have missed everything in this book. Where would the world be without people who would sacrifice everything and anything to preach the gospel? You don't have to go far to study the amount of disciples and followers and martyrs that have died for Jesus because he's worth it. This whole text here is to squash your mediocrity in your faith to be more extravagant in your love for Jesus and your actions for Jesus. I mean, how silly is it that some of us are embarrassed to pray at the dinner table at our public restaurant? Come on. And here's Mary. I give you all of it. You know what amazes me about this? There's those who are critical. There's those who are mocking. There's those who are scoffing. It's the same language of the cross. There Jesus is hanging on behalf of his followers. And those men below, the Romans and the Pharisees, scoff and mock as our Savior hangs on the cross voluntarily. But if you can just step into the story 
if you could hear the sounds, the voices, and smell the smells. As Jesus was gasping for his last breaths, what do you think he was smelling? The aroma of Mary's love. She knew what she was doing. And he was thinking of her as the the blood and the iron and the smell of iron wafted through the air of Christ's blood mixed with the smell of this aroma as a reminder. Don't worry about the criticism. Don't worry about the scoffing. Some of us are going to have to leave a real career for the Lord. Some of us are going to have to leave small town Truckee to go reach people in the inner city for Jesus. Some of us are going to have to go and, and, and bolster ourselves and ask Shannon Brimer, who was up here last week, hey, I know you're looking for a new director for Scarlet Hope. You're looking for a gal who'll take the gospel into the darkness of strip clubs. And some of you will raise your hand and say, that's me. And you'll have someone in your family, you'll have someone like Judas criticizing you. It's normal. But don't let it hinder you. Because we learn a third lesson. Not that just our public worship should be radical and and not that just we'll be criticized, but such kind of love and worship, such kind of sacrifice will be remembered, it will be recorded, it will be honored, it will be defended. Notice as they criticize her as Judas says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This could have been used for the poor. What does Jesus say in verse six? It's become one of my favorite verses. Leave her alone. I just think that's gangster. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I read it that way. Leave her alone. What's Jesus saying? I have her back. What Jesus is saying is that I'm making a promise that your sacrifice, your extravagant love will never be forgotten. In fact, Jesus even says, wherever the gospel advances, wherever the gospel takes new territory, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, her story will be shared. And here we are this morning fulfilling, fulfilling that prophecy. Come on. Here's the deal with Mary. And with Judas, there's a contrast as we get ready to wind to an end. You know what Mary has learned in her giving? She's learned the art of self-forgetfulness. She's not thinking about her, man. Gosh, how freeing it would be to just not have to think about you, huh? To not have to think about your needs and what you're feeling. I mean, if, any, if you're like me, does anyone in the room ever get hangry? I mean, it just teaches me the frailty of my humanity. Just the other day, I was in a really bad mood. I had to take the kids to go eat. I was really hungry. They were hungry. The whole, the whole car was anti-Christ. It was, the, it was the tribulation in our vehicle. Finally got some food in our bodies, and I had to apologize to my kids and say, I'm so sorry. And as I reflected back, I thought, I lost all of my control of my attitude because I was hungry. I lack self-control, self-control. 
What a blessing to be so enraptured with Christ. You're no longer thinking about you. Judas is the opposite. All Judas can think about is himself. She pours out a gift that really has no comparison of cost. There's no way to really share what it is that she has poured out onto his feet, the the value of it. But Judas has given us exactly what he thinks Jesus is worth. He turns in Jesus. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the same amount of money that was used to purchase a beast of burden. Jesus' value to Judas is less than that of a human being. 30 pieces of silver. It's nothing. Gee, Judas used to steal from the money box. He used to skim a little bit off the top for himself because he was concerned about him. You know what else Judas is guilty of? Mary just wanted to sit with Jesus. Judas wants to use Jesus. You'll be helpful to me, Jesus. The other lesson we learn is that two individuals could literally be in the same proximity of Christ and one of them will find him supremely valuable and the other will find him supremely usable. May we be the latter. May we be like Mary. Even though so often Judas appears in the mirror, only the gospel, only being in love with Christ can heal me, heal me of my sin-sick soul. And when I come to Jesus in faith like Mary did, and I see that Jesus wants to take and has taken all of my sin and all the things I've done wrong, and he's placed those things upon himself, and in exchange he's given me his beauty and everything that is good about who he is, I can't help but sit there and say, Lord, I just want to give you more of who I am. What is the ultimate thing you can give Jesus? It's not a thing. It's not money. It's you. The call is to take your very self and to break yourself upon the feet of Jesus because Jesus wants to smell like you so that you can smell like him. Man, I'm so thankful that he has shared his life with us, that we can finally, finally now know what it is like to live and not be a slave to self like Judas. May we all continue to pour out as Mary poured out. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you have made, the love that you have given Lord, we know that Mary only showed such love because you showed it first. Lord, as you teach us in Scripture that we only love because you loved us first. And she responded in gratitude and in worship, Lord, because you are worth it. May all of us, as we close in singing, just take a few moments to do a little bit of the soul-searching needed. Let God challenge you because he is God. Let him minister to you. 
Let him ask you of things that the world would say is foolish. But may your obedience be radical and sure because of your love to him. May God challenge you to get things out of your life and to give more away. Because that is what the gospel is all about. A free gift given to us. Cost you dearly. Cost us nothing. May we live as you lived. Love the things you love. And hate the things you hate. We trust you now for all of these things. In Jesus' name the church said. Amen. Let's stand together, family. Yeah.